champions the far post podcast we're back for another women's world cup group preview episode today we are chatting all things group e so in group e we've got the us vietnam netherlands and portugal so there are some very there's a particularly big clash uh within this group and obviously Whenever you're talking about the World Cup, you have to talk about the US. So that is what a lot of this episode will be about today. We've got a special guest joining us, so we're very excited to welcome him. But before we get into all of that, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and ESPN journalist Jeff Carlisle. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me on. We're very excited to talk to you about all things US women's national team. And I wanted to kind of start the chat with, I suppose, the expectations heading into this tournament, because I've obviously read lots of articles about this US team and the concerns about replacing players and will people we fit and blah, 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 blah. But I feel like ultimately the question comes down to, are you guys just going to win this thing again for the third time in a row? Is that the kind of expectation heading into it? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it's it, it's crazy what the expectations are around this team are when you kind of look at it from a a broader soccer football context. Um, I mean, it's it's it, it's funny when you when you cover a U.S. friendly, it's like you find yourself like nitpicking like crazy, like oh well, they gave up this chance, and oh uh, they you know they 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 looked shaky for this five minute spell, and, and but then you know kind of dominated the rest of the time. So I mean, it's. You know, there, there's always uh, high expectations around this team, and the fact that they're they're two-time defending World Cup champions. I mean, that you know, that only heightens it. I mean, even the Olympics, as as poor as they were in that tournament, um, that hasn't really done anything to dampen uh, you know, the expectation that the U.S. is going to win this thing. And you know, but with those expectations comes a lot of pressure. And I think uh, you know, Vlako Andonovsky, the, the U.S. manager is definitely on the hot seat a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the Olympics were his first tournament in charge and, it, and they just, that team just didn't look the same. I mean, you can talk about the pandemic. You, you can talk about how, how weird the atmosphere was in Japan, you know, for the, for the Olympics. Um, but really, again, the expectations, none of that matters. I mean, you, you're still expected to, to overcome those things or this team is expected to overcome those things. And, uh, and, put in a, a great performance and, and walk away with the trophy. Jeff, it does feel a little bit different externally it, just with the injuries. Like they feel like they have mounted up for the U.S. Like um, we knew about, we knew for a while that Sam Mewis wasn't going to play, but obviously Mal Swanson. And I mean, in most other teams, the Becky Sauber injury will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Is there confidence that won't be the case? Like there's a lot of experience, a lot of talent. You know, there's always a lot of talent still there, but is the is there, there enough talent and experience in this squad now to overcome those injuries and still win it? I think there is, but I, I think it. Whenever you're talking about the injuries, it, it it depends on what part of the field you're talking about. I mean, obviously, Mel Swanson was is a huge loss, but I think that's probably one of the deepest parts of the field for the U.S. I mean, you've got you know Sophia Smith, you've got Trinity Rodman, you've got Megan Rapino still still alive and kicking, um, you know, although she's been carrying a, a bit of an injury of late as well. Um, 
And, you know, you've got Lynn Williams, who, who kind of gives you a, a little bit different look in terms of her ability to press and, and really kind of defend from the front. Um, and, you know, she's going to be expected to kind of be one of the backups to Alex Morgan in the central striker position. So, I mean, again, Swanson's a huge loss just because of the form that she was in. She was, you know, just scoring goals just by falling out of bed practically. I mean, so uh, I'm a little bit more worried about the back line. I mean, Becky Sauerbrunn, just so steady, so experienced. Uh, you know, she's everything, you know, nothing phases her. I mean, she's, she's done everything in the game. And then I, I guess I was also a little surprised that when the roster was named, there were really only two out-and-out center backs on the roster. I mean, you've got Naomi Gurma and um, Alana Cook. And then, okay, yeah, Kelly O'Hara can play in the back. You know, Sonic can play in the, in the back. You know, Julie Ertz can play in the back. But I guess when I think about it, just because they can play there doesn't necessarily mean they should. And so – you know, obviously there, there could be yellow card issues. There could be more injuries, you know, and then, then what are you going to do? Then, then you're starting to like pull people out of their preferred role. And then I think you run the risk of the team kind of becoming less than the sum of its parts. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Mewis they've known about for a while. Uh, and I think for a long time, the bigger issue was, was Julie Ertz, you know, would she make it back? You know, would she come back? Um, she has played, um, but now I think there's some concerns about just, you know, how much rust is she, is she still having to shake off? So, um, I would say those parts of the, of the field are, are more concerning, it, you know, as great as Mel Swanson was doing, um, I'm a little bit more worried about kind of the defensive side of things. Is that the vibe then, Jeff, going forward? Because as you mentioned, there is such little experience across that back line. There are so many World Cup debutants as well. So is it just a, a sense of scoring more goals? than like, I, I know that this is how football works, but it's literally just scoring more goals than the other team and try not to worry about the defensive bit? Yeah, I mean, they are going to have the majority of possession, I think, in a lot of these games, with the possible exception of the Netherlands game, um, at least in the group stage. Um, so I think there's a sense that, you know, the U S team defensively is not going to be tested that much, but, you know, obviously as the tournament goes on, it's going to be tougher and tougher. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a sense that the U S is just going to be able to rack up all these goals and, and any problems that might appear in the back are, are going to be papered over. But, you know, I, I just, again, I think that's kind of a, a dangerous way to go into a tournament because, uh, you know, France seems to be getting their act together. I mean, obviously the Netherlands are, are missing some, some pieces. Um, you know, I mean, nobody, you know, Spain seems to, to not, you know, they're, they're still having issues, you know, with, with their, with their coach, with some of their players not coming back. I mean, some did, some didn't. So it, it seems like no one's really, you know, just hitting on all cylinders, you know, going into the tournament, but you know, we've seen it a million times. Teams find confidence, teams find form. I mean, we saw it with the U.S., I think, back in 2015 when the opening games, I mean, my, my goodness, Australia absolutely was crushing them in that, in that opener. And, you know, I hope Solo makes some great saves and, and eventually the U.S. team finds its rhythm and they win the whole thing. So, uh, you know, we, we've seen that happen before. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think the opportunity is there. I, I think the U.S. is vulnerable enough that if, if there's a team out there that can find its form, 
um, you know, they could take the whole thing. Do you think, um, similar question, but the composition of the group, is, is does that create vulnerability for the US here? Like, would the preference from followers of the team be that, that there's more, I guess, competitive opposition or higher ranking opposition in their group so they can, I guess, get into that rhythm early rather than, like you say, maybe getting a lot of goals, but perhaps getting a little bit complacent? Um, I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, I mean, I think, I think there's still a lot of confidence that the U S is going to win the group. Um, obviously the Netherlands game will, well, I think be the one that decides it. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, you know, Vietnam, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll see what they bring. I mean, if you had asked me a week ago, you know, what, how that Vietnam game is going to stack up. I mean, I would say the U S wins that by multiple goals comfortably. And I think they still will, but I mean, that, that result against Germany where they only lost two one, I think that opened some eyes. It opened my eyes. Um, and so, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, you know, there's some concerns about the midfield as well. I mean, you know, Rose Lavelle's been carrying an injury and she was, was so critical in 2019 in terms of just kind of being that X factor in terms of creativity in the midfield. So, um, so much of it is wait and see. Um, I mean, I wish I could give you like definitive, you know, predictions about what's going to happen when, but, um, you know, it's, you know, it's so much of it's going to come down to who's healthy and who on the opposition is healthy. Um, you know, th there's some, some issues there as well. On that as well, with this group that are going to the, um, World Cup, I don't know, Megan Rapinoe seems like the obvious example. She just keeps on going. Um, so a lot of these players are kind of, you know, of a, older generation we talk in generations a lot here in Australia as well like our group this is the golden generation blah 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 there's lots of opinions around that but for a lot of these players is this going to be their last um world cup or is it just like we can't make any assumptions because a lot of them will just be there forever I don't know I felt like the last world cup we thought that this would be the last world cup for a lot of them and now they're back so yeah I mean I think Rapino. this is I think she's said as much um you know, that this is going to be her last major tournament. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, if she sticks around for, you know, for the Olympics, but, um, you know, I, I think in terms of world cups, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, Salbrun, I mean, I think this was it for her. I think, you know, the, the same for Rapino, um, Alex Morgan. I mean, I think that's a, that's another kind of wait and see maybe. Um, and, but I mean, there, there's some, there's some youngsters coming through as well. I mean, I think, you know, one thing that a lot of people give Lachlan Nonsky credit for is he had to bring in some younger players and he did, um, you know, especially up top. I mean, you know, we all know about Swanson's injury, but Sophia Smith has come through Trinity Rodman has looked really dynamic at times. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in turn, you know, and, and, and Gurma has been very solid in the back when, when she's been on the field and cook as well. So, um, you know, he had to make those decisions and, and he did, um, you know, but then the question becomes, you know, Hey, do they have the experience to, to, to go all the way? And I think that's, you know, where they're definitely going to lean on, on players like Morgan, like Lindsay Horan, I, who I, I think it stands a good chance of being captain. Um, you know, she's been there, done that. And, um, you know, she's, she's kind of that vital two-way presence in the field that, that every team needs. And, um, you know, she, she brings a lot of experience and leadership as well. So I think, you know, she could very easily be the one that kind of steps into 
more of a leadership role in Sauron's absence. I guess to follow on from that, Jeff, we'll have a lot of people who listen who don't, you know, necessarily pay a huge amount of attention to the US, but I'll say if they play Australia. Um, we we got a lot we did get a look at a lot of those younger players like Fox is a good example, um, who has been really good. But who should um players oh, sorry, fans be looking out for? Like maybe players that can can take this tournament by storm, do something a bit special from this US team that aren't the big familiar names, I suppose. Well, I think Sophia Smith is, is definitely one to watch. Um, you know, I think, you know, she she did it all last year, you know, for the Portland Thorns. I mean, she led them to the championship. She was the leading scorer, um, you know, came up in big moments during the NWSL playoffs. And so, you know, I think she's one that is, you know, is definitely uh, one to watch. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I think she's a lot to start. I mean, I think the other wing position is, is a little bit more up for grabs. I mean, we'll see if that's Trinity Rodman, um, who, you know, as everyone who's familiar with the NBA knows, I mean, she's she's the daughter of Dennis Rodman, but I mean, she's really done a lot, I think, to kind of, you know, make a name for herself in her own right and with her own career, rather than always being, you know, Dennis Rodman's daughter. So, um, you know, she could be one to, to really step up. Um, you know, in midfield, I, I would say, you know, I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of familiar faces. I mean, if everybody's healthy, it will be Lavelle and Haran and probably Julie Ertz, you know, in that holding midfield role. We'll, we'll see, you know, that was a real issue for, for so much of this cycle. I mean, Ertz does so much. I mean, she she's just a destroyer in, in so many ways and is also just incredibly effective on set pieces. And so, um, she just had a, a, ton, a ton of value. And so, you know, I think you'll see some familiar names in, in, in the midfield, the back line, I think, like you said, you know, Fox is another one, um, along with, with, with Gurma. I mean, I think they could, they could really step up as well. How do you rate this new generation coming through, Jeff? Because as Angela mentioned before, we're currently sort of seeing a transition in the Matildas where we've got our golden generation who are in probably their last World Cup cycle. They're all going to retire in the next couple of years. And then we've had to really accelerate the development of these younger players in order to build squad depth so that we don't just leave (laughs) everything behind. How do you rate this new gen coming up and replacing the likes of Rapino and Morgan? Do you actually think that they're better than what the previous generation was? I mean, I think that's what this World Cup is all about. Um, you know, I think I think there are some questions surrounding them, though. I mean, they had that that three game losing streak towards the end of last year, which you know just kind of set off alarm bells. And, and granted, you know, I think Andonovsky was still trying to find his best group, his best you know eleven. You know, he he was you know looking for answers, especially in that holding midfield role. I mean. You know, he looked at Andy Sullivan. He looked at Sam Coffey for a little bit. Um, and there's some people that are surprised that Sam Coffey didn't get more of a look, you know, given the way she's played in the NWSL. Um, so I, I think that's that's still to be determined. I mean, certainly they're very talented. And, and certainly some of them are, are performing exceptionally well in the NWSL. But, you know, it's, it's really – I think the last Olympics – raised a lot of questions for people and, you know, really, you know, planted some, some seeds of doubt about, you know, whether the U S is going to maintain its, its status as, as the best team in the world. So, 
Um, I, I think there, there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, it, it's a little too early, I think, to answer that question. They are talented, I, w- I will say that. Jeff, what's the pass mark for Vlako and Andonovsky? Because we know that, no offence to US Women's National Team fans, they are notoriously fickle. As soon as it looks like things aren't mm-hmm. going right, it's stack this manager, get rid of this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, US soccer clearly aren't as fickle as that. But, like, is it? does he have to win the third trophy on the bounce to keep his job? Is it make the final four? Like, what feels like, maybe from the media perspective, people with more of an insight, what is the sort of pass mark that he, he really needs to reach? I think if the team reaches the final, win or lose, I, I think he'll be back. Um, I mean, the team made the final four in the Olympics and, so you know, and got the bronze medal. Um, so, um, but I mean, I think so much of kind of the, the gut feeling, the, the reaction from that tournament was just the way they played. They, they just didn't look the same. I mean, if they, if they go down guns blazing and, you know, they, they lose like a, 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 a seven goal thriller in the final, then, you know, I don't think people are going to be too, you know, you know, breaking out the, the, the torches and pitchforks and, and saying, you know, that he, that he needs to go. Um, but if they, they kind of limp through the tournament and don't look like it's their best and they end up departing in the, in the quarterfinals or even the semifinals, then I think it, it, the argument to keep him is a lot harder. And so, uh, you know, again, it's, you know, I think, I think making the final, I mean, that's the minimum as crazy as that sounds. Um, because I mean, that's, that's an incredibly high bar that, that he has to get over, but, um, that's what he signed up for when he took the job. So, um, you know, we'll, again, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I would think it's final or bust, you know, for a black line and that seven-goal thriller is going to come against the Matildas because if the Matildas are good at anything, <laughs> it's going toe-to-toe with the U.S. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, about how U.S. fans and the media are feeling about where the team is going to be based for the group stage. New Zealand was a, a bit of a surprise, I think, for a lot of people, and they're clearly the biggest team that is going to be playing in the country, aside from probably New Zealand itself. What's the vibe around fans going all that way to New Zealand? Do they sort of feel like it's a little bit underwhelming considering the the reputation, I suppose, or the, the drama of the of the team? I think it depends on how many Lord of the Rings fans there are, um, <laughs> you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the US fan base. Um, I, I think, I mean, the people I've talked to, I think they're excited. I mean, I, I think they're excited to visit both countries. Um, you know, I think, you know, especially, you know, it's it's kind of a, I don't want to say a new frontier because obviously Australia has been very good for a while now, but I think it's just in terms of, of a country hosting a tournament or in this case, co-hosting, um, I think there's a lot of excitement. I think people are looking forward to going to that part of the world. I mean, it's, you know, I think they're both countries that love sport. I mean, maybe you could say that 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 soccer is not the top one, um, but it, they're 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 sports mad countries, and and so I think you know from that standpoint, people are excited, and it's it, I think it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, I'm personally very excited to be to be going there, and so uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of positive vibes in terms of uh, of fans going there. Obviously, it's a long trip. It's and, and not everybody's going to be able to afford to get there. But um, for those that do, 
uh, I think there's a lot of excitement. Jeff, just looking at the the group briefly, does it feel like it, um, the composition of that group is going to come down to the Netherlands game, one, yeah. one and two? Is it that sure. simple, really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, having watched, you know, a little bit of Portugal, I mean, I do think they have some ways of hurting the opposition. I think, you know, Anna Capetta, you know, I was watching the Japan friendly and I thought, you know, she looked pretty dynamic out there on the wing. I know, she, you know, just in, in terms of caps, she, she doesn't have as many caps as, as some of the other other players, um, you know, whether it's Jessica Silva or, or, or Diana Silva. I mean, but, you know, I, I think, especially in transition, I think the U.S. needs to be careful, you know, but I do think, you know, if Portugal has a weakness, I think it's, you know, they, they do look pretty suspect in the back. Um, they, they don't do a ton to, to cut out service. Um, and, and given the speed that the U.S. has and how dynamic players like Rodman and Smith are, I mean, I think that that is a matchup that, that really favors the U.S. So, you know, I think if Ertz is on form, you know, then I, then I think that that's a game that, you know, they should, they should be able to win. Um, you know, we'll see about the Netherlands game. Um, obviously, Vivian Miedema is, is a huge loss. Um, you know, Lindbeth Berenstain, I mean, the times that I've seen her, I mean, she, she, she reminds me of one of those strikers who just needs a ton of chances before she finally connects. And so, um, and let's face it, against the U.S., you're, you're just not going to get that many, I don't think. And so, uh, you know, it just remains to be seen about whether she can, you know, step in and, and, and fill the gap. I mean, I think, you know, the Netherlands has a lot of players that they're impressive. I mean, you've got Daniel Vandendonk. I mean, you know, you've got uh, uh, Egoroa, I think, is, is the, the holding midfielder. I'm, I'm spacing on her name a little bit. Um, but she's one that, that really, I think, yeah, Damaris Egoroa, she's the one who kind of makes the game for the Netherlands. And so, you know, she's very technical. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the U.S. really tries to, to stop her from playing. Um, but, uh, you know, Lika Martins, you know, is another one that I think, uh, you know, is, is on her day is, is very dangerous. And, you know, again, we'll see, you know, exactly – and then Jill Roar, you know, a, a number eight who, you know, just can go up and down and, and really contribute to the attack. So it's, you know, I think the Netherlands definitely has a lot of players that, that can that can hurt the U.S. And, and I think that's going to be one game. It's going to be a fascinating test for me because the U.S. is going to have to be at their best, you know, I think to win that game. And so, you know, can they do it that early in the tournament? Um, you know, they, they've had their share of stumbles in the past. I mean, I you know, going back to like, you know, 2011. I mean, I remember they they played a, a group finale against Sweden and lost. And so, you know, then then that that set them up, you know, for kind of a crazy path to the final. But, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I do think it's going to come down to you know that game against the Netherlands. That's gonna that's gonna be the one that decides it. I mean, the tough thing is, is if if they were to lose it for some reason, then they go into the group stage finale with just a ton of pressure on them. And so, you know, that's not really a situation that they found themselves in terribly often. So, you know, they've, they've tended to get the results in the group stage to make it, you know, maybe not as predictable as they like, but relatively stress-free. Um, so we'll see what happens there. And am I right in saying you probably don't want to finish second in the group because that would most likely mean a matchup against Sweden, which is never fun. 
for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I'm, I'm amazed <laughs> that they weren't in, in the group. I mean, it seems like every group stage, regardless of the tournament, somehow the U.S. ends up with Sweden. It, it, at least it did for a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you want to be able to create as clear a path to the, to the deeper parts of the tournament as you can. So it's, you know, I, I think you know, I mean, the U.S., they always play to win. I mean, they're not trying to figure out like who their opponents are going to be or, you know, who, you know, what their path to, through the tournament is going to be on that day, they're there to win. And so, and I, I think, you know, odds are that they will. Um, but again, I think, especially with, with the Netherlands ability to hold the ball, possess it, um, you know, it, it's, it's just going to be a, a very different type of challenge than they're used to facing. Even though there are these little tidbits about, oh, like defensively, there they could be a little bit of question marks in midfield, who knows, you know, blah, blah, blah. There is still an overwhelming sense of, I'm going to say arrogance to this US women's national team and also to the fan base. And one of the things that we've noticed, I think, is Aussies is that they're really starting to lean into it, uh, particularly when it comes to their marketing. There have been a couple of really amazing ads that they've put out where uh, they just embrace it. They embrace the fact that they're the big dogs, that they're the favourites. Um, and are very terrible at mimicking Australian accents, I have to say. Uh, and then recently there was that enormous 20-metre Alex Morgan statue looking like the Statue of Liberty with the huge flag <laughs> wrapped around. Like, <laughs> what's, the, what's the sort of vibe, I suppose, from the American perspective around the way in which you're perceived in, in this arrogant sense? Do you think that it's like, are you just sort of embracing it as well as fans and being like, yeah, well, it's true. Like, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the media is necessarily embracing it. I mean, I, I agree with you. In, in 2019, they really leaned into it. I mean, with, with the goal celebrations and, I mean, I, I personally didn't have a problem with them running up 13 goals on Thailand. But, I mean, this is just me. The celebrations I found to be a bit much. And so, um, you know, but again, they – they enjoy being the heavy favorite. They, they, again, they, they embrace that, that role. Um, they love that challenge. Um, I think it, it's interesting, you know, in 2019, they had the whole equal pay thing still kind of hanging over them. And I, and I think in that particular tournament, it gave them a little bit of an emotional edge. It kind of, it, it was another source of fuel for them. And obviously that's not there anymore. I mean, that, that case has been settled. That situation, you know, they signed the new collective bargaining agreements that, you know, there's the revenue sharing or the, or the prize money sharing uh, with the men. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can find another form of, of motivation, if you will, you know, if they can find, you know, kind of that, that, that source of, of fuel that, that kind of just gives them a little bit extra push, but yeah, I mean, they, they've been like that for a while. I mean, I, I think winning in 2015, you know, really, I mean, they always seem to get the job done in the Olympics, but the world cup for a while was, was, you know, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't work for them. You know, they just couldn't quite get over the hump. And then in 2015 they did. And so, you know, I think for that generation of players, it got a little bit of a, you know, a pressure off them. You know, they could just, hey, we've won it. Let's go for two. Let's go for three. And so, uh, but I, I agree with you 100%. They, they are leaning into that role. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of the way they are. And, uh, you know, we'll see if it ends up biting them to, to any degree. Um, but, 
that is, you know, it, 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 I mean, not to, you know, I, I always try to not compare it to men's sports, but it, it reminds me a bit of the dream team. It, it's, it seems like the same kind of thing where they, that team was the best. They knew it. They leaned into it and didn't care who was, you know, who in the media or who in the opposition, you know, fan bases thought it was, it was over the top. I mean, and I think it's the same is true of, of the U S women's national team in this tournament. I think, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to be cocky. They're going to be confident and not the slightest bit concerned what anyone else thinks. They're probably going to win as well. Um, Savannah DeMello, uh, Jeff, I was shocked seeing someone like, I know she had very good NWSL form, but it's, it's very rare bar goalkeepers that someone who has no caps, unless they're a teenage prodigy or a goalkeeper, that they get called into a World Cup squad without a cap. Were, were you shocked? Like, because there are some big, you know, reasonably big omissions as well. Yeah. Um, surprised, but I mean, there had been some rumblings over the last six weeks or so that, hey, this, this, this player's playing lights out at NWSL. And it's interesting because Lachlan Andonofsky kind of backed himself into a corner because he, he's always talked about how much club form matters. And then when he brought Julie Ertz back, you know, there was this uproar because, you know, she hasn't played. So, you know, how much does club form really matter? So I think, you know, this was certainly an instance where, uh, you know, he was able to say, see, I mean, I, I called this player in because she's been tearing it up at, at league level. And so, uh, so I was, excuse me, a little bit surprised. Um, but, you know, it, I mean, and it is rare. I think Shannon Box in 03 was the, the, the previous or the last player to not uh, have had any caps, you know, heading in, into the World Cup. So, uh, or hadn't at least played in, uh, in, in like a major tournament before. So, uh, so I, I would say I was a little bit surprised, but, you know, certainly, you know, you heard, you heard rumblings over the last, you know, six weeks to two months that, hey, the, the, this player is playing too well to leave off. And then another one was Alyssa Thompson. I mean, I think she is probably the biggest beneficiary of, of um, Mal Swanson's injury. But, I mean, Thompson is so dynamic in the open field. And I, I, I'm thinking now, I can't believe I, I didn't mention her before, but just off the dribble, running at defenses, um, I mean, she's just incredible. And so I don't know how many chances she's going to get to do that because I have a feeling that, especially in the group stage, bar the Netherlands, I think it, the, the task for the U.S. is going to be breaking down an organized defense. So uh, I, I don't know if Thompson's going to get too many opportunities on the counter. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, you know, I was a little bit shocked. Um, but, you know, especially when injuries start to pile up, um, you know, it's uh, everything's super fluid. And so, you know, I, I think that would, that kind of helped to mellow as well. I think I have a question. It might just be me going on a ramble because it's so <laughs> early in the morning. So my apologies. I'm quite interested. There's been research into kind of the, the support and the media coverage of the U S women's national team when they do well. And in the U S they do make, you know, the fronts of papers, they do get a lot of, um, I guess, airtime because they are so successful. But I'm just wondering, is there any kind of understanding or uh, discussion of that in the media space when it comes to the the NWSL and being able to translate that kind of, I guess, 
patriotism and support for the US women's national team into um, sustainable support for the NWSL. And also, I suppose the other question is, is that a concern? Um, because there has been quite a few, I guess, big stories in the NWSL in, in recent years. So I'm not sure if that's still the thing that it once was, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the NWSL is at an inflection point. I mean, I think now that, um, you know, the scandals, you know, with, with coaches and, and just awful behavior, um, you know, player abuse, you know, all the situations, I think the two investigations by one by U.S. soccer, one by the league and the players union, I think now that those have been completed and the punishments have been have been meted out, I think there's a real hunger to to get back to the to the playing side of it to kind of celebrate these players for what they're doing on the field and um i think you see it and you know you've seen a huge surge in investment um in terms of facilities i mean the kansas city current built their own training facility they're going to build they're in the process of building their own stadium i mean the new team in, in the bay area bay fc um they're backed by um six street partners and which is a huge, you know, investment firm and just not only to see new owners coming in, but just the quality of ownership with the, the, the extent to which they come in with deep pockets. Um, I, I think you're going to see more and more attention start to get placed on the NWSL and certainly um, success for the, for the women's national team is going to feed into that. Um, you know, I think, and, you know, this goes for the entire sport in America. I think anytime there's a World Cup and, you know, the extent to which the teams do well, the, the sport experiences a surge in interest. You know, it, it brings in new fans. It, you know, fans that might not have been willing to, to check out uh, an NWSL team are now more inclined to do so. And, you know, they, they want to see the heroes that they just saw at the World Cup. So um, I, I think... That, that dynamic was there in the past, but I think that the decks have really been cleared in terms of kind of the, the, the scandal and just the awful behavior that was taking part, that was going on in the league. I, I think that's, I think that's been cleaned up to a significant degree. And I think having a, a workable players union is a big part of that. Um, Cause I think before the union was there, but I, I, I don't think the, the mechanisms in, in, were in place to really protect players. And so now I think, the league and the union realize that they have to be partners in not only creating, you know, great facility environments for the players, but just great playing environments overall. And so I think more than any other world cup, the NWSL is poised to benefit in a way uh, that they hadn't been in the past. This is a bit of a throwback question, but the only team to ever win a Women's World Cup that they hosted is the US. And here in Australia, there's a lot of discussion about the impact that the Matildas going far in the tournament can have in terms of the legacy that this uh, World Cup leaves for women's football in Australia. You think back to 99, how important was winning the World Cup in terms of the following decade of women's football. Do you think it was pivotal to what happened afterwards? You know, I think it was, but I think it wasn't like there was like a steady rise after that. 
I mean, there were some, there were some peaks and there were some painful valleys. I mean, you know, as iconic as that team was and in the manner in, in which they kind of captured the hearts of the, of the sporting public, it wasn't enough to sustain two leagues. So, I mean, two leagues came and went before the NWSL with considerable investment from the respective federations in at least starting out Mexico, Canada, U.S. Um, I mean, it, it took quite a subsidy from, from the federations to, to make it work. And so, um, yes, I, I think having a host country going far in a World Cup can do a lot to, to galvanize interest. It, it, can, it can do a lot to grow the game. But it, it's, I think it's really a question of a door being opened. And then it's up to the powers that be uh, in Australia, in New Zealand, to take advantage of that opportunity. Because it's not enough for that event to happen, for there to be these incredible memories by the host country. I mean, that, that's not enough to, to grow the game. It, it, it requires considerable execution in terms of growing the domestic league and being smart about expansion markets or picking which markets um, are, are you're going to put teams in, um, you know, bringing credible sponsors on board. Um, I mean, there's, there's just so many other steps that I think have to be done right in order for a country to fully take advantage of that. And I, I would say that the U.S. didn't. I mean, you know, it, it created some momentum, huge momentum, but then it also took that 2011 team, which didn't even win a World Cup, to also kind of kickstart it again, to kind of give it, give women's soccer some badly needed oxygen. Because I can remember being in Germany for that World Cup. I was one of three U.S. reporters on site for the group stage. And that, I mean, that kind of shows you how far interest had kind of leveled off in, in the women's national team. I mean, all the, the players of 99 had retired and, and then it took kind of that iconic goal by Abby Wambach against Brazil and I think it was the quarterfinals to kind of like get people to sit up and take notice again. And so then another opportunity was created. So it's, yeah, it's world cups are great. Um, iconic moments are great, but it also takes execution on the organizers part to really make the most of it. So Jeff, we have one final question for you that we have asked all our guests, who is your tip to win the 2023 women's world cup? <laughs> uh um, I'm going to go with the U S I mean, I just think, you know, I think anytime I'm asked for a prediction, I, I think about, you know, Hey, I could, I could say this wild, you know, dark, you know, pick this wild dark horse and, you know, then I look like a genius when I'm right, but you know, invariably, you know, I think the stronger countries, uh, you know, end up rising to the top. I mean, I, I am curious to see how France does. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to see how Australia does. Um, I think in France's situation, you know, have, have they been able to put all of the drama behind them and, and really be able to kind of make the most in advanced part in this tournament? Um, but, I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to be a blast. It's, it's a tournament I'm really looking forward to. Jeff, it's okay to say the US will win because you got like six players that came and played in the W League here. <laughs> it's okay to say that. <laughs> I was okay to say, give us the credit. <laughs> oh, 
I was going to say, you aren't the only person to have predicted the US in this series of podcasts, so you're in very fine company. But thank you so much for jumping on today. Where can people find your work during the World Cup? Uh, ESPN.com slash soccer. Um, that's, that's the simplest way I can say it. Uh, I'm on Twitter still. Uh, at Jeffrey Carlisle is, is my, my Twitter handle. Um, I, I could say that I have an Instagram account, but it's, it's, it's not something I post on regularly. So uh, you know, Twitter and, and ESPN.com slash soccer are the best places to find me. Excellent. We'd love a plug for ESPN <laughs> on this podcast. But thank you so much for jumping on and thank you all for listening. We've got a few more Women's World Cup preview pods to come to you so make sure you keep your ears peeled for those but as always we're over on espn.com.au and the espn app you can find this podcast on spotify apple google all of the usual pod pod spots make sure you subscribe so you get all of these episodes directly into your feed if you want to have a chat to us we're at the far post pod on all social media but until next time see you